Good day. So this is our final installment on the book of First Peter. If you're joining with us for the first time, I want to encourage you, if you find anything worth digging into a little bit deeper in this message, to go back uh, onto our website. You can find some of the messages on YouTube or on a podcast. But uh, we are wrapping up what has been quite, at least for me, an intense study and an intense look at some pretty intense situations and recommendations and advice for uh, people that were suffering 2,000 years ago. So Peter was writing to a group of Christians that had been dispersed and they were suffering, there were levels of persecution. And so we looked at some of his advice to Christians living in these situations. And last week, we took a look at some of the sources of these struggles. I drew a pizza on a piece of paper trying to draw Africa and explain to you how things work with God, the enemy, and, and Christians, you know, where there's a level of protection. Um, hopefully some of you got the point. If not, go and, I don't know. I'm not sure that watching it will make it any clearer because I didn't draw it all, all that well. But today what I wanted to take a look at as we wrap up the series is how to steward these struggles. So, so it's one thing to understand, and it is helpful and important, I think, to know where, where these things are coming from, whether it's our choices, other people's choices, because we live in a world of free will, whether it's coming from the enemy in terms of it's, it's being initiated, he's trying to discourage or deceive or distract, or whether God's even allowing struggles because he's wanting to develop us and mature us, it does help to know where it's coming from, but regardless of where it's coming from, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for it. God wants to bring good out of it. God wants to mature us through these different struggles, through these different challenges. Your enemy wants to crush you. Your heavenly father wants to mature you. He wants things to go deeper. He wants our security, our identity, our trust to, to, be, to be in him less than our circumstances, and less than everything going the way that we wanted to. So I do want to take a look today, as we wrap up, at how we actually steward these various struggles, regardless of where they're coming from. By means of a recap, let's take a look at one of the last verses of First Peter, found in chapter 5, verse 12, where he just, again, confirms his purpose in writing. He says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in his grace. If we think about that for a moment, it's pretty unusual to think that suffering can be part of grace. Like grace is where we get more than we deserve. It's where God gives us a special kind of mercy, a special kind of strength. But, but actually, he knows what we can cope with, and sometimes the very thing that he's allowing to take place. Now again, we can make choices that override God's will, just to be clear right? If I'm going to commit a crime, um, I can't blame God for prompting me. That's, that's not God. But God can meet me in the consequences and help me to grow through it. He can give me grace in taking responsibility, in maturing in those circumstances. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 5, we read this last week, says, give all your worries and cares to God for He cares about you. The, the reason for the emphasis here is that regardless of our struggles, what it is not, like the source of it is not that God doesn't care. God cares. We've, we've even sung quite a bit about that today. There is a loving father who does care, but he is a good father. He's a mature father. He, he is the kind of father that will allow us to go through stuff that will actually develop us. He's not just a friend to our feelings. He's a friend to our future. So he cares for you. But then the very next verse says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. We spoke about this last week, how, how actually so many uh, cases in the Bible make reference to him as a title, the devil, the Satan, the accuser, more than an actual name. 
He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so we took a look at part of his strategy last week, part of the enemy's strategy. I quoted some of the thoughts from John Marcoma where he says the following, we are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the three enemies' stratagem is as follows, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. I used the example of Woolworths and their chuckles. And I've got to tell you that a few people were led into temptation last week. Like I was receiving photos of people like, we got chuckles from Willie. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I normalized how amazing chuckles are. But, but this is the challenge that we face where, where part of his, his, the largest portion of his strategy is to deceive us. And the most powerful lies are the ones that have a huge amount of truth in them. But then he just twists it a bit, distorts it a bit, exaggerates it a bit. And then, and then of course, it actually feeds our disordered desires. Like it, it is actually something that, that stimulates and stirs us up. And in so many cases, it is normalized in the society around us. So this is how I think we can respond. I'm not saying that we should. The first one is not how we should respond, but these are some of the options that we have in responding to struggles and how we should steward those struggles. The first is self-pity. Or I'll explain in a moment why the word safety is in brackets. It is incredibly tempting if you are a human being which if you're not, that's scary. But if you're a human being with a human nature, there is gonna be a, cra- a gravitational pull for many of us. Not, maybe, maybe you've learned to, you've kind of really increased your resilience muscle, but for most people, our human nature, faced with enough challenges, faced with, and it's not when it's just one challenge, or one disappointment, or one hurt. Have you noticed that, that even if you are resilient, you can often cope with a lot, and then, it's just that one extra thing. It's just, it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's just that added pain, stress, challenge, accusation. And th- th- one more thing breaks down and needs repair or money that you just don't have. It's, it's when it's just so many things we're feeling bombarded, it is natural to be drawn towards a level of self-pity. But we have to be careful. There's a difference between self-care and self-pity. The only people that are actually excited about attending a, a pity party are people that are not good for you. I've heard it said that the only people that want to attend a pity party are the demonic. I was trying to find a nice way to say that. <laughs> but, but think about it. Think about it. No one, no one that is, that is actually loving you well wants to feed self-pity. They, they may care, have compassion, have empathy. They, they may be able to validate the reality of these challenges, but, but no one's going to want to feed a destructive, spiraling down type of self-pity. And so we have to be careful. We have to ask ourselves questions when we're going through a season like that. Am I, am I only seeing myself as a victim or am I seeing myself as a survivor? Now, the reality is that there are cases where you have been victimized, but there's a subtle shift in mentality where we're saying, yeah, that's happened, I'm not denying that. I, just so you know, I don't, I don't believe in that at all. I don't, I don't think that that is having faith to deny what's happened or to deny reality. That's not faith. Faith is saying, this is, is looking at it in high definition and saying, this is real. God, what now? Like, what do you want me to do with this now? How do I respond to this so that I actually grow and mature and I'm not 
crushed and embittered by this. I was talking to a friend the other day who was commenting on her mother, who I think is 85, and is destructively bitter and negative. It, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is so difficult to actually go and spend time with her, and she lives on another continent. It is, it is so stressful to go and spend, because she still hasn't forgiven her ex-husband, this friend's father, from stuff that happened like 50 years ago. And I'm thinking, this stuff might be real, but, but why give 50 years? Is that really meeting God's agenda or the enemy's agenda? Am I injured or am I in recovery? Normal people get injured. Have you ever noticed that athletes almost immediately go into recovery? Someone, someone has their leg broken on the soccer pitch. They're, they're carried off. They're pretty much a victim between when it happened and when they hit the sideline. Then there is so much attention placed on recovery. How do we help rehabilitate? How do we help strengthen? How do we help get this guy back on the pitch or this lady back on the pitch? Now, the reason that I've got safety next to self-pity is because it may not be that you are someone that, that is geared towards feeling sorry for yourself, but another part of our human nature is that we are drawn back to the familiar. We're drawn back to our comfort zone. We're drawn back to, 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 what, to what we're confident in, which may be something that God's actually called you out of, but the temptation is to go back to that. Now, if that is the case, you're in good company. Peter, who wrote, the book, who wrote the book, the small letter that we've been studying over the last several weeks, is recorded in John chapter 21, verse 2, as follows. Several of the disciples were there. This is Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. That's James and John, and two other disciples. Just to give you some background, Jesus has been killed. Jesus has been raised back to life. He's appeared to the disciples a couple of times. This is literally the last chapter of the book of John, and it is, and it is Jesus recalling and recommissioning Peter because Peter has gotten distracted and gone back to safety. He's gone back to the familiar. He's gone back to his comfort zone after his betrayal of Jesus. Can anyone resonate with that? We feel like, I've done it too many times. I've, I've let God down too many times. I've made mistakes too many times. You know what? Let me just, I mean, we don't think about it consciously, like, let me go to my, safe, my safety zone or my comfort zone. It's, it's just the gravitational pull is there. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. If you are familiar with the story of the disciples, you'll recall that Jesus called them from fishing to, in his words, he, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, fishers of people but he's gone back to fishing for fish. I want you to notice the following three words. We'll come to. Just for a moment, I want to remind you that there's always more at stake in your attitude than just you. Peter, whether he liked it or not, was a leader. He's like, I'm going back to fishing. And so because he's someone of influence, the others were like, we'll come too. Please don't miss this. There is always more at stake than just our own lives. So they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. And if you know the story, it's quite comical almost how the very same miracle that Jesus did on the day that he called them, 
so recorded in the book of Luke, when he calls them all to come and, and be fishers of men, he, they'd also been out fishing all night, and they had also caught nothing. And he says to them, put your nets out again. And then they catch so many that the net starts to tear. Here again, if you read the next few verses, Jesus calls out to them. They say, we've caught nothing. He says, put your net out on the other side. They do it, and they catch so many fish that, again, the nets begin to tear. Peter puts his, his robe back on because he was in his skivvies, and he jumps into the water, and he swims back to Jesus. And it's quite a beautiful moment, which we'll take a look at later on. All I want you to consider for a moment, and this is, this is a little bit of teaching, but, but really I'm inviting you to reflect. Hopefully, prayerfully. Before I get into the next three, which are the appropriate responses, I just want to ask you to ask God, even in this moment, is there anything, is there any reaction, however justified in the natural, that I have allowed to take place and I'm still nurturing that's actually leading towards self-pity or safety when God actually you're wanting to bring something better out of this, something bigger out of this. Pray for eyes to see where you are allowing yourself to be embittered or discouraged or disillusioned. So one of the potential responses is self-pity or safety. Secondly, now we're getting into the positive, is to search. So it's to actually reflect. It's to think. It is to be prayerful. For those of you that have been in our church for a while, you've heard me focus on the scripture over and over again. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 where it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. This is an attitude of humility. This is David who, again, if you know his story, there were some really high highs and there were some devastating lows. So I appreciate that, that he can write what, what since then people have come to call a prayer of examine, where he's examining his heart prayerfully before God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. A really healthy response. If you want to steward struggle as well, don't just drink it away. Don't just distract it away. Don't just keep yourself busy. There, there are appropriate times. I'm not talking about wallowing. I'm talking about reflecting. There's a difference. Just to be clear, again, wallowing can go back to self-pity. I'm saying this is a searching. God, search me in my heart. Test me in my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me on the path of everlasting life. In other words, God, is there anything here that you're wanting me to learn from? Is there, is there anything here that I have actually been a part of, even if it's only a tiny part that you want me to recognize and, and own? Maybe I need to apologize. I've got to do what I can while trusting you with what I can't. Jeremiah, who was actually, uh, I don't know if it was fondly referred to, maybe, maybe it was a little bit of a, a, a jab, I don't know, was, has often been referred to as the weeping prophet because there was so much pain. There was so much that he would lament. He, he literally wrote the book of Lamentations. That's not an exciting book. It's all about lament. He, the book of Jeremiah, which is a large book, it records a great deal of God using him to speak to the nation. There is so much disappointment. There is so much betrayal of the people turning from God, and, and it hurts him. Like he's someone that, that cares deeply. He records in chapter 6, verse 16, the first part. Again, he's speaking to, he's prophesying to people, he's prophesying to the nation. He says, this is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Stop, look, 
ask, walk. He's saying, hey, when, when stuff is going on, when you're at a, a fork in the road, stop. Or you're at a crossroads, stop. Look around, like actually take, take stock. Reflect, assess, is there, is there anything that I need to give attention to, God? Ask for the old godly way. If you're a parent and you're not horribly dysfunctional, you actually delight in your parents and your kids asking for help, asking for wisdom, asking for perspective. He, God is not burdened by us asking. I think he delights in us asking. He's like, I can, I can work with this. He's trusting me. She's trusting me. She's, she's asking. He's, he's asking. And it's not just to have another opinion amongst the hundred other opinions. No, he's actually, he wants to know what I want so that he can obey. So again, don't miss out on the series starting next week, hearing God. To, to Tammy's point, I think we all, there's something inside of all of us that wants to hear God more. Because really, when we, when we have a sense from God, when we're asking and he gives us perspective, that should trump everything else. That should settle everything else. It's not an opinion. It's the Word of God. Again, a lot of wisdom is needed with all of that, so come to the series. Ask for the old God, but then walk in it. In other words, don't just, don't just want to be informed. Want to obey. So, searching is another response and in how we steward struggles. A third response is to strengthen. To actually ask God to strengthen us in this. I had, I had actually never paid a great deal of attention to the difference until some time ago, a, a friend of mine, a very much, I guess, a mentor or a pastor to me, uh, was, was, I was bouncing stuff off him as I was going through a very, very complex, difficult, painful journey, season. And, and I am someone that will naturally want to search, reflect, God, anything, show me any, anything that I, that I need to learn, anything that I need to do about this. And, and he actually cautioned me. He, he felt like he had to say, Jason, I think you've done enough searching. Is, is God asking you to search more? Or is he actually wanting you to shift focus to being strengthened? And, and that was actually really good for me. Because my default would be, like, there must be something, anything. Like, what, and and that's, that's, that's healthy, but there's a balance. Okay, God, if there's nothing else I can do, strengthen me. What are you wanting to teach me? What, what are you wanting to 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 develop, and that could be strengthening your resolve, that could be strengthening your identity security, that could be strengthening a sense of courage where you need to actually act in spite of people not all being in agreement, but you know that this is the moral road, it's the right thing. Where is God wanting to strengthen you? A deeply inspiring, encouraging passage of Scripture for me is recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31 onwards, where Jesus... It's his final evening, and he's just had the last supper with, with his disciples. He knows what's about to happen with, with Judas. I mean, if you even just begin to imagine that picture, it's, man, it is thick with emotion, thick with trepidation. Yes, even Jesus, there, there, would, there would have been stress there, so much so that a few hours later, he was, he, his blood corpuscles were starting to burst, and he was literally sweating drops of blood. I mean, just, just imagine all of this, right? He turns to Simon, which, who became known as Peter, and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. 
I don't know why it's recorded with him specifically addressing Simon when he's saying that he's actually asked to sift each of you, as we, but he's addressing him, and then what should be a deeply encouraging portion. I have pleaded in prayer for you. So he's asked to sift you, but, like that's a big but. If you have a paper Bible here, I would circle that word but over and over again. By the way, our family went to watch the ballet on Friday night. This, this is Swan Lake, the St. Petersburg Ballet. We'd, we'd actually bought tickets years ago. I think like in 2019, they were going to come out in 2020, and obviously that didn't work out, and so finally, like three years later. Can I just point out that the, that the male ballerinas have big butts? <laughs> but I mean like, like muscular butts, like, like, like they've got glutes for days. It's a little bit uncomfortable. I'm like, can I look at that? It's like weird. Anyway, I'm just saying, big, okay, there's a big butt. Okay. But, have I told you I'm ADD? Like, I, I'll get distracted easily. But, I have pleaded in prayer for you. I have pleaded. In, Simon, he's asked to sift you, but I've pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. If you read this portion carefully, you know that Jesus is saying, you are going to fail. You are going to deny me. He goes on to tell him that you're going to deny me three times. But he says, I pray that your faith will not fail. There's a difference between you failing and your faith failing, between me failing and my faith failing. I've prayed that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. He was saying, Simon, I've already prayed for you. Satan's asked but I've pleaded for you. There is a place, there's a time for us to be strengthened in the battle, strengthened in our failure. So you may be 100% responsible for where you've landed up, for, for what you are suffering with or struggling with at the moment. That might be the case, but like, is that too far for God's grace? Does he not want to meet you in that and strengthen you? Of course he does. Hebrews 12, verse 12, also a very encouraging passage for me personally. It says, so take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Strengthen your weak knees. Take a new grip. One of the most important parts of us stewarding our struggles is to be strengthened, to learn from it, to press into God more. Don't, don't pull away from God, don't pull away from church, don't pull away from life group, don't pull away from serving. In, in our experience of 25, 26 years, the number of people that have come back stronger when pulling away from a commitment, whether that's life group, whether that's a serving team, whatever, because they are struggling and they feel like they just need more space, more margin. I've got to tell you that I think, I think I've seen a success story maybe once or twice. 99.999% of people who, 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 who and, and I get it. I, I can validate that temptation. And it, I get it. But I'm just telling you that to pull away instead of pressing in, I'm just saying objectively, that has almost never, ever, 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 ever worked out well for someone. 
Take on your group. Strengthen your weakness. So, so what do we do in that? How do we strengthen ourselves while we're feeling weak, while we are feeling discouraged, while we're having a crisis of faith? Please don't be discouraged by having a crisis of faith. It's okay. Can I point out to you that there was a moment on the cross where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? According to some of our theology, we would say, okay, cancel Jesus. He's questioning his faith. That's not, that's not how God responds to us when we are wrestling over our faith. No, no, we, we need to keep pressing into it. And I think that, that the way we do that, the way we strengthen ourselves will mostly come down to practices and people. Practices and people. As far as people go, be life and death serious about who you're looking to for perspective. And nowadays, I would say that that includes who you give influence to through your screen. So, so we're no longer in a world where the people that influence us most are those that are physically next to us. It's the people that we follow. It's the people who we're reading. It's the people who we, are, who, who we, who we want to emulate or, or, or who we think have got some kind of influence. Be careful. Yeah. We can, there are people to read. There are people to follow. But just, be, just make sure that, that their compass is pointing in the same direction that God is trying to take you. So people, commit to a life group. Commit to a serving team. Don't let church be an option that you flip a coin depending on the weather. No, no. It's, I'm going to stay anchored no matter what. Yeah, well, I haven't been getting anything out of it lately. That's okay. You stay anchored. Yeah, but you know, the, stay anchored. Imagine, imagine, imagine if you are committed to like an exercise program or you, you know, you're doing gym with a personal trainer or you're part of a team that, that trains a couple of nights a week or whatever. And... Tuesday night, didn't in, like, it didn't make you feel warm and fuzzy because they just made you run laps at soccer training. It's like, uh, I don't feel like my coach cares enough about me. I don't feel like anyone else paid attention. Felt a little bit ugh, afterwards. I'm done with soccer. We wouldn't have nice things to say about that person, right? So, so let's not be weak and whimsical when it comes to, uh, I didn't enjoy it that much that day. That's okay. You, you are busy adulting. You are busy maturing. You are learning to push through and persevere. And in terms of practices, there's probably nothing more important than a commitment to consistent solitude. That All that means is regular time with God, trying to get away from as much distraction as possible, even if you are just having to put headphones on and white noise on, on a, on a bus, in a house that's, that, that's rowdy, but, but like where you're just trying to find regular time to be with him, to pray, to ask questions, to listen. Again, don't miss the series on hearing God. To reflect on scripture. And maybe it's to even find passages of scripture that you can meditate on and memorize. And you keep coming. In, in old Christian easy language, we talk about standing on scripture. You come back to that promise. And you keep saying, God, you are faithful. You are trustworthy. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. You stand on scriptures. Lastly, so we can go towards self-pity and safety, which is not so healthy. We can, we need to. It's important as part of stewarding struggles to surge and to strengthen. And number four, I think it is incredibly important to serve others, to, to lift our eyes above the sort of the gravitational pull towards like a type of navel-gazing, 
which, which goes back to point number one. It's just, it's, it's, it's wrestling over this tension. It's wrestling over this gravitational pull where we are being reminded that this life is not just about me. If, if you are subtly, subconsciously, more or less convinced that this life is just about you, that Jesus came to die to make you happy, happy, healthy, and wealthy. If that's, if you're, honestly, the enemy, he's like, I don't have to worry about you. It's cool. I'll move on to someone else. Because, because you, you're a non-entity. No, no. Jesus died so that people could come into a relationship with him, so that his church could be built, so that, so that people could, could find healing and wholeness and freedom, which we sang about earlier. It is in, to be self-centered is the complete opposite of the core of Christianity. Christianity, following Jesus, is by definition generous, compassionate, other-centered, Again, let's go back to the passage we read between Jesus and Peter. Luke 22, verse 32. I've pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith should not fail, so that when you have repented. By the way, repented and turned to me is the same thing. Repent just means to turn around. It's not, it's not to have groveled or to have prayed a, oh, a hectic enough, sad enough prayer. No, no it's, it's to change direction. And turn to me again. Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Peter, this isn't just about you. You better get yourself sorted out. You better repent. You better accept grace and mercy and forgiveness because there's so much more at stake than just you. I want you to learn from it and to strengthen your brothers. Hebrews 12, verse 12 and 13. We read it earlier. Take a new grip with your tight hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Then verse 13. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are lame who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. In other words, he's saying in, in this passage, as you strengthen, as you take a fresh grip, you're going to fill up. So, so imagine someone coming on crutches or in a wheelchair and, and they, cannot, they cannot cope with this, this distorted path that's got all kinds of, of potholes in it and, and, and high highs and low lows and, and all kinds of sharp turns. They're saying, he's saying, fill it up, lower it. Straighten it so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. One of the reasons that God wants us to steward our struggles is so that you can strengthen others, encourage others, give others hope. You know this is true, that you are most inspired by people that haven't had this amazing bulletproof life. They just say, hey, pray the right prayer. You can have an amazing life like me. You can be awesome too. Like, you know, we're just a flick away from heaven. No, no, you are most encouraged by people that have gone through what you've gone through. They can speak to what you've gone through. They can empathize with what you've gone through. But not just that, they can tell you some of the steps that they've taken. They can tell you how they have found God in it. They can tell you how God has met with them or encouraged them or how he's brought you through. We want to be able to encourage others. Last passage is at the end of that last chapter of John. Chapter 21. First part is about how Jesus comes to them, tells them to put the nets in. The, the, the haul of fish is more than they can really bear. Peter then realizes he comes out to, to Jesus. Jesus already, I mean, it's, again, it's just, I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. He's like, go and catch fish. But when they get to land, he's already brying fish. 
think he had a lot of fun with like just being able to do stuff, provide. And then he calls Peter aside, verse 15. He says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Next verse, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you? Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus was recommissioning, recalling Peter. He wasn't just reminding him of his love for him. He was was asking him, do you love me? Because if you love me, you're going to love people. Yeah, but you know I love you. Then love people. Yeah, but you know I love you. Then lo- you know all things. Then love people. It is impossible to grow in our love for God and not grow in our love for people. If we want to steward our struggles well, we are going to be open to, if not eager to, serve others. I think that that is on a day-to-day basis where it just the opportunities are organic and natural at home, at work, at school, in the community. And I think that there will also be opportunities where we commit. So it's not just if I feel like it and we're, no, no, where, where we actually commit to a cause, we commit to a need, we commit to a team, where we, where we are choosing to make our lives about more than just ourselves. And, and if I can be fairly blunt, and maybe to help soften it, Kelly, can you come and just create some nice mood music for us so that people don't take too much offense? (laughs) Okay. Okay, okay, you with me? If you are... I even want to say over the age of 25. I honestly think that what I've just described gets harder and harder with every year that passes, every stage of life that passes. And so I do want to encourage you if you are, if you're out of your teens, you're out of your very early adult years, I want to, I want to, I just want to, all I can do is invite you to ask God. It is so natural for so much energy to go into our work, to go into our family. This is important. That's good. Just to be clear, this isn't an either-or issue. I'm saying you need more discernment the more responsibility you have. It's, frankly, it is a lot simpler when you're a teenager or when you're a young adult, maybe studying, living at home, etc. The more responsibilities you carry, the more stress you are managing, the more emotion you're giving out, the, the more you need to discern. But, but notice that the drift is towards self-protection. I'm going to manage my energy, but which again, you see, there's truth in that. It's healthy, but it can be to an extent of where actually, if you think about it, and this is a very melancholic way to put this, so please just bear with me for a moment. If you were to pass on today, would there be, would there be value that has been added fairly consistently in a committed area that that would suddenly be missing if it's just that you can no longer work and provide i'm just saying i think god's called us to a bigger life than that 
to more than just making a living. It is so important that we do. I respect that. It is important that you provide for your family, that you pay your own bills. That is important. But I just want to caution you not to allow it to go to an extent that you never have anything left over for that which matters for eternity. So I'm just encouraging you. And, and by, yes, if you have a family, that is your first ministry. It's your first church. It's your first disciples. It's the first people that you are meant to love and serve. Absolutely. And there are seasons, there are seasons where you've got nothing left over. That's okay. That, that, that's the season that you're called to. But if that season is still 20 years later, your kids are grown out of the house, I would invite you to consider whether or not maybe what was a season has become a lifestyle. What was a season has actually become something quite self-centered and self-protective. If you want to steward struggle as well, then we need to keep evaluating from season to season. Am I just, am I just living it? Am I, am I anchored towards self-pity or safety? Or am I searching? Am I allowing God to strengthen me? Am I open to areas where I can serve others? Make sense? Come on, stand with me, please. Let me pray with you.